Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 3rd of March, 2019. For those of you who are still getting whacked by winter, as I am here in fact, my sympathies go out to you because it's been a long, long winter this year. And it has really been a physically long winter because here it started in September with snow, which didn't disappear right at the present time. And I'll still get a lot more snow yet, I'm sure, going into March, April, and maybe even beyond, who knows, because this happens once every 20 years or so, they say. It's not that unusual, although, of course, with geoengineering going on and all the testing they say that they're doing across the planet from official statements from universities, they're involved in the geoengineering projects, that who knows what normal is anymore when it comes to weather control. Because that's the purpose of geoengineering, of course. And it's like that statement the US Air Force put out years ago saying, owning the weather. Look it up for yourself. But it's been happening. So you, this, is, this is the whole thing today. You're living in a system managed by experts from top to bottom of every aspect of your life, literally. Literally, even physically. <laughs> You're managed by experts from birth to death. And that is the system that was dreamed about for centuries, actually, before H.G. Um, Wells came along. He, he, he was one of the recipients of the knowledge to do with this, this world that people wouldn't, they'd be hard-pressed to even define. But see, the whole idea of left-right and all this kind of thing and capitalism, communism, is all a strategy of systems all owned by the same people. Experiments, if you will, too. And from the communist experiment, which is just collectivism on steroids in a sense, which is what they go into again, a more advanced form of it. You won't even probably have a name for it. Or keep the same names. Or you're living in a, in, in a paradise, a dem- democratic paradise. But in, in actual fact, it's a managed system run by scientists, those in academia, again, planned and, and discussed and written about copiously for well over a hundred years that you can get the books on it by many of the participants at the top, or at least near the top. And even the ones <laughs> near the top, like the Huxleys and so on, admitted that they were not at the top. They were still a dominant minority who controlled everything and owned everything, basically, who ran the financial systems. Because everything, no matter what plan you have in mind, has to take into account this strange thing called money, or means of transactions and exchange and things like that, where it's the state that, that appears to be in charge of it, which it never is, or it's the private groups that are in charge of it, which is more true, I think, then we find that it, it, they, they did all these experiments to find out how to control the whole planet better. They kept talking about, like I mentioned last week, about necessity and efficiency. The Huxley, Aldous Huxley said it would probably come about because this drive for efficiency. He's not talking about tying your shoelaces or doing away away with the shoelaces and putting a Velcro on. He's talking about efficiency from those who saw themselves in charge already of the world. And if they could get more control over every aspect of every individual's life, like a standardization process, they would achieve their goals much more readily and easily. So that's where we are today. The creation of what appears to be a thousand different fragments of a system, all pretending they're different, 
are really the parts of a thousand points of light. As the, that's just what they call it in the occult. They've always called it that. George Bush Jr. called it that too. So did Senior. A thousand points of light. Very occultic, working to bring about this utopia on earth for themselves, for their own progeny to control, as the rest of the unfit gradually die off. And they admit in the writings that they have all the time in the world to do it. Because our lives are pretty short. They are pretty short, really. By the time you hit 40, you might think everything's just crawling. You, you wonder, you, you may be bored stiff waiting for it to pass quicker. <laughs> Strange thing to say, but it's true. And then suddenly, all this going on a roller coaster until you wonder what happened to all the years since. But the thing is, our lives are short. And because they're short, we, we're, we're very short-term planners in a sense. Most folk think to the immediate future, especially men, and it used to be basic, very simple. It didn't always work out, but the fact is it was simple. You were young, you would get some kind of work, you would get married for one reason or another. And that was the way for a long, long time, for centuries. And once you were married, you got on with it, and you'd have children because there was no contraception at one point. And once the children came along, both the man and the woman, would, would get stuck in, they're young, uh, they're, they're healthy, they're able to cope with it. And that's true enough, when you're young and healthy, there's less problems for the woman having uh, childbirth in the first place. And coping with, uh, because it takes a lot of energy, as you know, to bring up children. So that was it. Uh, there were no great expectations beyond that. And because you weren't working 12 to 14 hours a day, generally, by then, You'd already had big, big mass demonstrations and strikes to bring in shorter work weeks into a, a stage where you actually had time to go home and say hello to to your either your relatives or your or your wife or your or your husband or where it happened to be, and you had a chance to to converse with them for a couple of hours before you hit the sack and slept to get up early in the morning for the next work. So that was the whole idea of it. Before that, you didn't have much time because under laissez-faire capitalism, as it was called. The capitalists who owned all the factories and they owned the country, in fact, and they owned, owned the armies. I mean, the armies didn't see it that way, but that's how it was. They were used for private corporations, businesses, on behalf of the crown, as they call it. And that's, that's the way it was. You can criticize all you want, but that's the way it was. And lots of folk would join the army when there was no work. That was standard as well. And they were often given simple reasons for the wars, the empire and all that kind of thing. And they would believe in the propaganda, very basic, you're bringing civilization to whatever it happened to be. But in reality, it was for the benefit, in hindsight, we see it all. It's always in hindsight you see things. You, you see it was for uh, really very well, incredibly wealthy <laughs> managers of finance based in London who ruled the whole system and the empire. And, and they used the, the empire, really, and, and the whole idea of what Britain was, or the UK and so on, what it was, was actually a private enterprise for big, big, big business. Because once it started collapsing, people saw the devastation in the country. There was nothing set up for the people who literally were in poverty. They were demolished by high taxes. They were demolished by malnutrition from, from countless wars, one after the other. And they didn't even have safety nets, social safety nets to finance the people when they were sick or dying. There was no national health service. 
that's something that, that people have got a hard time to, to you've got to bite on it at times and chew it, don't you? It's nasty. But that's the way it is. And indoctrination is a tremendously powerful thing. And it doesn't take long to indoctrinate people if the experts are involved in indoctrination. And that's the saddest, scariest thing, is that it can be done to any generation for any purpose that the masters require at the time. Today is just too perfect with psychologists and behaviorists and and all the rest of it working full-time in big, big panels with government, like big marketing, how to put ideas across to the public, like the behavioral insights teams, all psychologists. Psychology, remember, was was dreamed up to, to control the public, folks. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. Psychiatry was going to go a step further by bringing in drugs with it. And don't forget the first drugs that uh, Freud kept um, prescribing to even his friends to, and himself, <laughs> cocaine. And uh, they had no problem with heroin and so on too. So this idea of using drugs on the public, this Soma idea, was nothing new. You find Huxley's Brave New World as well. It hasn't gone away. It's here today bigger than ever actually with the legitimization or legalization, I should say, of all drugs. It isn't just marijuana. This should be legalized. They want to go the whole gambit because society is now literally to go over the abyss into the big depopulation program by those who control. And this is not conspiracy theory. It's not theory at all. I generally just quote by their books that they put out themselves by authors who are in the big foundations that bring all this about. They're in the big think tanks that work with all governments advising them on policy generation after generation. That's the beauty of it, getting back to your, the short span of your life. Every foundation has a list of its own agendas to accomplish and work at, including to create more and more, more non-governmental organizations, to even recruit and train children to be the future leaders of these organizations in 20, 30 years, 40 years' time. And that's no conspiracy theory either. You can see it on their own websites. And they do this constantly. All the leaders you see getting churned out in front of you were picked a long time ago and trained for their positions. It doesn't even mean that, that they even believe in them themselves. Because you don't have to tell them all the facts involved where you want to go with an agenda. You don't even have to tell political parties what their whole agenda is. Political parties generally don't want to know. They just want to get in and to fill their pockets. And they get rewarded mightily. They all know this mightily from so many sources. If they nod and go along with the policies that are put in front of them. By people who are unelected. That's the reality of life. The school systems are, are such an amazing <laughs> system, really, because it's got nothing to do with education. It's indoctrination of policy by those who own you, basically. That's what it's for. The reason that Aldous Huxley had no problem, as I talked about last week, about his agenda, the agenda that he saw for Brave New World coming into being, where the folk would float through it step by step, float into it with it with no real reaction against it. And eventually it would be there. It might take a hundred years or two hundred years, but it would come. Uh, it's here already, really, but uh, it would come. And so everybody would fulfill 
their function and their strata of society, all the different types, all the way from the alpha plus, all the way down, for the division of labor, to, for their, their hive community to work efficiently. That's what it's all about. And that really is what it really is all about. And that's what he meant by efficiency. It would come about by efficiency. And you can go all the way back into Plato and all the other philosophers of his era who talked about life in general. These, these people had no real problems in the world, like Plato and, and Aristotle. They were all of a leisure class. You could sit around and drink their wine and indulge in different things that, that would be, well, we, one time people were horrified about, but, but the thing is, they could speculate. Their whole life was about speculation and humanity and humanity's role and place in this universe of theirs that they saw. And they studied everybody. If you want to control nations, including just even your own nation, you must understand how people work. And so you add, they add in every generation all their observations on humanity and all segments of humanity and genders and everything else. And that's what they did. And so you find that Plato talked about efficiency and necessity. And he also had his book put out called The Republic, where he, that became a, basically a, almost like a Bible in esoteric circles. And for those who don't understand esoteric circles and esoteric lore, it isn't, it isn't anything to do with vampire slayers on television. The occult is simply hidden. It means hidden. Those who wanted revolution to destroy old, the old power structures in society, like the Catholic Church, were often people from a different belief system who would maybe wanted to dominate as well. You'll find all plays down through history. Don't believe that, that everyone's just either a winner or a loser. There's, there's competition. There's always power plays between every group out there, even to, in all strata, even in the left wing. Power plays galore. And just need to satisfy what you think is your right to dominate others. And so you, you find that the occult has always been used to overthrow or try to overthrow existing power structures. And even in those who were the recipients of history and power within ruling organizations like the long-established churches, because they had incredible knowledge going way back up to the present time of real history as it happened by parchments, and scrolls that were sent back and forth all the time, just like ancient Egypts did, did as well. And you had, you had, and a lot of them haven't even been on open jet, apparently, even in the Vatican. There were so many coming in all the time from all over the world. But they, they have them. And it was the same with Egypt. And in fact, some cities in Egypt were built as centers for the origins of much of the empire's scroll-making, going back and forth, back and forth, back from all the different parts of their empire. And we have their own histories of this too. There's still remnants of the histories of... And, and it was surprisingly efficient. It wasn't like haphazard, or we'll come back in a few months with information on this, this outpost out, so-and-so. No, the, the Egyptians had it within, within days sometimes, or a week. Very efficient. 
So you understand, humanity and, and this, this ruling over other people, uh, so that a minority can live like kings and queens, is not new. And you had the minority at the top, that was often called royalty, and then you had a priest class in ancient Egypt uh, that, uh, that were, were literate. They were a specialized class in different areas of ruling different segments of society. And they lived better than the peasants who had to till the ground and do all the hard, heavy work and, and supply all the things and make all the things that kept everybody else in luxury, the small minority. Nothing changed for really thousands of years, really, when you think about it, really. Huh? Nothing really changed uh, until maybe the 20th century. When into the 19th century, you definitely had the empire idea of, say, Britain, it wasn't the only country, of course. France had it too, and other countries, and Holland had it for a little while too. Even Belgium had colonies across different parts of the world, including Africa, and the Belgian Congo. But you've got to understand that these colonies really were to do, for, as I say, for big business and resources for big businesses. And the ordinary people, even in their, their home countries, didn't benefit from it much at all. Life would go on as usual for ordinary peasant classes. We forget that in, in Britain, for instance, nothing would have changed if it hadn't been for the plagues, the great plagues. It killed so many of, of the serfs off. And serfs were bought and sold with the land. They were the property of the owners, the, the landlords. It, it's a nice term rather than say they're slaves, isn't it? But mind you, too, they could get branded if they moved off the land that they were buying and selling it. If they actually moved and ran away, they got branded. So we've got to, again, come back to reality and say, wait a minute here, what about this, this free ancient society? As I say, before the Normans came in with this massive organization that came with it of social management and lords and feudal lords and all the rest of it, it was a bit different and a bit more, I would think, more easy to comprehend as a more humane tribal system. But anyway, things go the way they go. And out of the, this, this drive, this drive for, for quotas and guaranteed incomes for lords, and they would pass up the, their income to the one above them, to the one above them, up to the royalty, up to the king eventually. That's how it worked. Then they wanted more efficiency. And that's really why, even with agriculture, more efficiency came, came in. Over time, not because they wanted to feed more people and keep them happy, because most of the peasants, sixty percent, I think it was, of their produce, was taken from them, and uh, for taxes. And there were, out of the forty percent that was left, they had to pay any higher labour that that tacked themselves onto them, uh, and had to pay for their for the for their foodstuffs for their animals. And, and keep themselves alive and so on, and for clothing, etc. So I cannot look at the past and think it was a sort of wonderful time. Although in amongst it all, I'm sure everybody, in little moments of their t- or even in a holiday, uh, one thing about the church is they gave, you, they gave them holidays, a lot of holidays at one time, and festivals. And during those times, we all, being human, can appreciate a nice, beautiful day and the things of nature that stick with you, like an instant of timelessness, as I, as I always think of it. And that's what we, we these are the things that, that really 
make life more precious, I think. If it's all hell, then that can lead you to a different road altogether. But getting back to the occultic system, the occultic system is multi-layered, always one by the ruling classes for themselves, another one for the helpers, the professional classes, as you call them, who manipulate all for efficiency's sake on behalf of the owner as a dominant minority. And, and then there's even lesser ones further down who believe in, in, in certain things to do with the occult. But they all believe in one thing for sure, is that you never tell the complete truth to the general population, the peasantry. That's never changed. Never will change. Never. It's like the... I think that there's been different people in time made the same statement that... And I think Roosevelt was one of them, FDR said it too. He said, for everything that happens... There's a good reason. That's one given to the But then there's a real reason. That's never given to the public. It's therefore the same with those who are put in front of the public view, who have some kind of power as a helper. The Al Gore's that strata, who give little statements here and there, which you can pick up on and understand, really, if you understand much at all, that they're giving you two different messages, one for their own group, and one for the general public, and for the true believers who are brainwashed at much even lower levels, lower strata, to do with environment, because the environment is the and sustainability is the mantra they they picked on, uh, because eugenics got a dirty, dirty name because of World War Two. Those at the top still believe in eugenics in a big way. And they have never, ever changed their opinion on it, that they must change society. Hence, your brave new world scenario of genetic alteration and eventually the creation of the proper types to to run the world and work in the world and live in the world and not this haphazard idea of the old-fashioned way of uh, simply passing on groups of genes, some of which might be the claim defective. So that's the whole idea of it. And like, like all movements way down, really all movements of revolution are a continuation of the same group by predecessors and often related, in fact, to the same people and families. Not always, but some of them certainly have been. And you go way back into the Middle Ages and find out the, the different uh, retaliations of certain segments for the ruling oligarchies of their day, especially the churches, because... They themselves, they had a separate religion. And the the religion was couched in occultic language for their own safety. That way, if they were ever caught, they could always say they they meant something else. And and if no one had a a dictionary of translations, then they couldn't be prosecuted. There's always the benefit of the doubt there, you see. Albert Pike said the same thing. He says, we never speak so plainly as when we do in public. And what they meant, but to to other brother masons, because the general public wouldn't catch on what they were saying. You find old talks by Manly P. Hall, which are kind of fascinating. Well, he's a very old man, talking at uh, the, one of the philosophical clubs that he belonged to, in organizations. And that was a popular thing, too, the philosophical clubs, as they couched it, too. He does go on about what had to be done, and he almost breaks beyond the boundaries of acceptable speech 
because he's adamant on the fact there's too many of the wrong kinds of people in the world. Eugenics. And they always tied it in too long before Al Gore came along or any of the rest of them. They always tied it in to the same things, eugenics. If people outbreed the ones who should be allowed to breed, if the general masses outbreed them, they'll, they'll res- use up all the resources. That was an old thing going way back into the 1700s and, and up to the present day. Hasn't changed. And so how, how do you get the people to stop breeding? Well, you create the problems, you see, that promiscuity... Promoted promiscuity will create Which is unwanted pregnancies And then you say Oh my goodness look at this Oh dear dear what we do And then you introduce National health service systems And then you perform abortions So you must create the problem First of all And then say well it's no longer a problem now And you make it normal Until people think Well there's nothing You know This is a normal thing to do When you get pregnant So you can fulfill your goals with the general population by introducing that. It's been awfully successful because from the 50s and running into the 1960s and out came the pill uh, and, and the miniskirt at the same time and promiscuity. Uh, once you do that, then you're on the way of destroying the need for a family, the man, the woman, and children. And you can go on from there, you see, and, and they say it's been awfully, awfully successful in the West. And where you always find this dichotomy, this paradox in a sense, of excuses, is where they conflict with each other. The ability to hold two opposing opinions in your head and believe in them both at the same time, as George Orwell said in 1984. Double think. Your own governments across the world have spokespeople who come out and tell you, there's too many of you. We too many of you. We can't. We can't go on like this for, and sustain the country, as though they're supporting you, huh? I mean, you're supporting them, and all less money than they're, they're taking off you. But facts don't matter. So they're telling you this, and at the same time they're telling you, because they say there's too many of you. Then they're telling you there's not enough to pay taxes that we owe or the money we owe the banks. So they've got to open the floodgates for mass migration. And that's the excuse for mass migration and the elimination of borders. You understand what I'm saying here? Which one is it? You think they'd be quite happy with folk dying off and, and fewer and fewer and fewer people? Huh? Do you really think they would risk their own elimination and disappearance at the top? Do you really think they'd do that? If, if it was purely because there's not enough folk to pay taxes? Do you really think that? So which, if they're not afraid of, of millions coming across Europe to add to the population, if they're not afraid of having to support all of them and, and what they're consuming, getting taken out of sustainability program, why would you at the same time say there's too many of you? Which one do you want? Less or more? Less or more? Simple, isn't it? But you'll never get a straight answer because they have no straight answer to you. Again... There's always a good reason, and then there's a real reason. You'll never get told the real reason. You have to dig for yourselves. The elimination of borders is an old, old idea for those who gave you eugenics and who are alive and strong and well through over a thousand think tanks and foundations all working together. And they're on their way to getting what they want. The elimination of national boundaries 
a standardized society. They don't care about different colors or peoples or ethnic groups. If they can standardize them all with the same speech, the same understanding, the same new culture, that's what they hope to bring in eventually, then they, they can dominate and control all, all of you and then bring you down population-wise and, or sterilize you. Like the West already uh, going down the tube step with sterility, as we know, it's one of the main problems that they have. It didn't happen by itself. And they'll never tell you either why it is happening. <laughs> you're in a eugenics program, that's what I'm saying. And you were in it before you were actually born. And in the future, a lot will be more so in it because they won't be allowed to be born. That's part of it too. You have politicians coming out saying it now. They're reviving the old idea that came out oh, way back in H.G. Wells' day. Oh, yeah. You know. and, and his co-founders too, like George Bernard Shaw, about the need to, to, to even have permission to have children. They're back to that again, you see. But again, don't forget, in, under eugenics, you serve the world state, as they say. Then, you see, your reward, you have lots of rewards, but one of them will have the right to pass your genes on into a new child, to, for a new child to be born. This has always been the same goal. That's what really is amazing to me. It's with, under this mass confusion that, that, that appears as mass confusion to the general public, who don't have the time to go into all this stuff, then they can really rush ahead with their agenda, which they're doing, of course. But also, their indoctrination techniques are so politicized and spread through all communication, all movies and, and books and novels and and probably ads on television too. I don't know. I don't, I don't have TV. But so there you go. I mean, it's through everything by design, not because it's just chance or coincidence. And if you enter, as I say, the old occultic stuff, you'll find discussions really of eugenics and even reincarnation. That was a big thing that's often couched in reincarnation, for those who don't know. Uh, that the idea that, oh, you've been reincarnated so many times. Plato talked about it, didn't he? When he, when he and his friends supposedly, in a little talk that they had, uh, Plato says, why, why do you think um, we understand basic mathematics and, and, and geometry and things like that, you know, and, and, and others don't? And he, he gives an example of, of children. And he says, uh, well, come here, boy, you know, and he gives him a little puzzle. And the little boy figures it out. He says, there you go, this, this little boy, how, why does he know that? Where other little boys won't know this, how to do this or how to do that. Because we've done it before, he said, we've lived before. So that, that was their way of, of justifying why they were superior. Superior is the word, you see. That was it. That hasn't changed. That really hasn't changed. And under that doctrine, I don't care what you want to call it, it's a doctrine or religion. <laughs> Secular humanism is religion too, you know. And for those who say they believe in nothing except, except ex- existentialism and humanism, they're in a religion. Because, strange enough, they're, 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 their mind will go off. They might not, if they can't, if they, as long as they don't have a name to brand out with, they're quite happy. But they'll give you the same signs and symptoms of any other religion. Of what the Marxists were the same. You need an awful lot of faith to believe in that. Awful lot of faith. Because supposedly it was so complex, only the great leaders who designed it understood it. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? You find the same thing with uh, occultism. It's often used as a, and it always was in polite circles, 
as a technique of communication, of superiority, of class amongst themselves, for those who don't quite get it. And also remember, too, that even with the Hellfire Club, you'll find that Benjamin Franklin belonged to some of the clubs in those days. And this wasn't, they weren't, these Masonic clubs were not for the average person. They were for Masons, sure. But at that time, Masons were generally people of dignity. They were called gentlemen, or sometimes called Gentile men, but gentlemen. And they often had a prostitution brothel attached to as part of it. And you think, well, I guess they're just indulging themselves. Eh? But it was more than just that. It was to do with, with selective women who had what they call quality and character and intellect and health that they could mate again. That was your privilege. You, you, could, you could get mated with one to have an offspring uh, with out of wedlock who would be trained then as a, a form of... Many names have been used for even Alastair Crowley could talk about the magical child, the magical child, etc. Today, we can read about it in the Foundation's writings, as I said, mentioned before. They select children. They don't tell you who bred them, <laughs> but they select children. And they train them for their, to be rulers in a, a, in a whole bunch of different areas which govern us all. And we don't elect any of them. Because most of our governance today are unelected organizations. And this farcical thing called democracy. Anyway, I could get really into depth with all this stuff. But, but really, you have to, and you've got to chuckle too at the nonsense of all. You know, how we believe. And they get people all round up about democracy. And by God, they really get round up, don't they? Democracy, democracy. And here's the thing too. For those who belonged to these organizations, they hated, and still do hate, the general average, low-educated working class. They really hate them, despise them with a passion. H.G. Wells said it too. He says, you know, look at the people. He says, the poor, what you do, he says, you can help them. You can you help them get over their sicknesses and illnesses. And he wasn't just talking about Britain, he's talking about the rest of the world through charities, etc. at that time. And he says you can vaccinate them against diseases and, and even put, throw money at them. He says, what did they do? He says, they breed. And folk thought, well, I guess he's talking about Africa, because Africa, they're always throwing money at Africa and they couldn't see the results from it. They couldn't see it, because most of the money wasn't getting there, obviously, either. But the corruption is rife in a lot of different nations, too. Every nation's got corrupt. The groups that rule you are legitimate because they conquered and slaughtered folk thousands or hundreds of years ago. And through time, they become respectable. Every country is the same. That's how it is, folks. Those who take the chances, they're bold. Knights are bold. They slaughter their people. They do things that you wouldn't do. They take the chances. They're the ones that win, you see. That's how it works. And we're taught that that's somehow now they're nice and clean and superior. Hundreds of years later, their offspring really that that's how it happens. Every country is the same. Every country. So H.E. Wells and many of his own ilk were really disgusted that working classy. But he he wasn't talking about their. He was talking about folk in Britain. <laughs> yeah, he was the great H.G. Wells. Eh? 
And he talked about a, a rulership of the air, you know, a, a Masonic brotherhood of the air, a secret society who drew through science the general population and things to come. So uh, that's really how it's done. And he belonged to all the societies too and co-founder of the Fabian Society that would achieve its goals for this plan system. It might take them 100 to 200 years, depended, to achieve it. Well, they've done pretty well up to the present time, haven't they? And don't think it was a separate organization from what was called the far right of his day, those who ruled the empire. It's just different branches to serve different functions and to con and use different societies within and populations within this empire. That's all. Hasn't changed. Eugenics, eugenics, eugenics. And here we are, all are. The, the, well, really the end product of it. And, uh, and they're even harvesting. And we know this for harvesting. It's been in, in lots of top magazines and newspapers about the harvesting of uh, children's organs and for sale and different things like that too. We know all this stuff for stem cell research and longevity projects, etc., etc., etc. And that is true too, by the way, that they've always been, I've said it for the last 25 years or more, uh, that they've always been three levels of reality existing at the same time in any profession or field of science, including medicine. Basic medicine uh, that's taught in university for GPs is the lowest form of it. There's an, another level above it that's given to people who've worked for the system tirelessly and got well rewarded for pushing it all, and they'll have longevity. Then there's another level above that too, uh, where they can do amazing things uh, to rejuvenate the body, to fight all kinds of disease, including cancer and infections. So when the working people at the bottom get told about a new system to fight this or fight that or even cancer, it's actually obsolete in the, in the second level and third level or the ones above them. So that's really how it works in the system. And same with knowledge and everything else too. Today, finding the truth in this day of mass, mass communication is almost impossible because there's so much sensationalism going on everywhere to get hits, as they call it. And that's and click, 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 and clickbait, etc. That's how they, they think they're successful, by getting lots of clicks and so on, and stirring emotions. And, if you, and of course, those who rule the world have stacks of massive foundations working tirelessly every day on the internet with, a, with all kinds of pretended reasons for existing and for what they do. It's, so it's pretty well impossible now. I hate to say it, but it's true. And I knew this would come a long time ago. Now let's look at this big organization that was based in London. So this is, of course, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, private organization, that anyone who's anybody in history for the last few hundred years belonged to, basically, even before it was called the same. It was called different names before that. Winston Churchill was bamboozled about it. He knew it existed. It was a covert thing. You'd get whispers of it running the British Empire behind the scenes. And he made a speech in Parliament about it that was disgraceful how, because he wasn't in the loop at the time, of how it was really running the whole affairs of the empire and creating wars for its own gain, etc. 
It's on purpose. Although it would seem from later speeches, he was certainly well aware of what it was, and he was part of it with roundtable societies and so on. But at different levels, it had an inner party, outer party, and it had foreign branches that tried initially to hide themselves by giving different names to themselves. But it's the same organization for World Empire that I'm talking about tonight. They say all these different aspects of it as part of the same system. And the U.S. took over a big, big part of the active participation of funding it across the planet since just before and after World War II, up to the present time, under the guise of Council on Foreign Relations and another specialized branch called the Trilateral Commission, where the technocrats that do the real signing and drafting up of plans and so on with think tanks and getting them signed without any votes going through, they're the real movers and shakers, including the guys who really manage the central banking system that's part of it too across the world. So we're run by agencies of which most folk are completely oblivious of. But it's the same organization, very old, with the same agenda, working tirelessly through foundations as they hire, work and retire and recruit and train and retire for, for generations. They, they can always achieve their objectives, getting back to what I said earlier. We are short-term thinkers. Foundations are not. They don't have to be. <laughs> and this is where we are today with it all, too. But this is really so sad. The people for the last hundred years worked and, and died, worked and died, worked and died, and went through often wars and everything, never knowing that this was behind everything that was happening in their lives. And all the topics, even for gossip for the papers, was dished out by them too. And entertainment as well. What kind of entertainment? What's embedded in entertainment? That's how all-encompassing this happens to be. So, in the US, they had, uh, they made the Rockefeller family, the movers and shakers, as a big, big, huge branch for America. And they would go under the guise of philanthropy, naturally. And, but they would tickle over, as they always do, across the planet, resources, number one, for different guises and under different reasons. And so, but always take over resources, always to help the people, of course, but also uh, education as well across the world, standardized education, promote all agendas for sustainability, etc., etc., to the present day and finance all the top players and train them, even as again from children, who will end up prominent in sciences, in social sciences, in academia, etc., and in politics too. And this is no conspiracy theory, it's a fact. In the US, there's a really good um, book put out, in fact, about Rockefellers. It's about social control and Rockefellers, and the book is called The Rockefeller Foundation's Molecular Vision, of life, how the aims of eugenics, social control, and human engineering shaped molecular biology and 20th century science. A review of Lily E. K. is her name. This is the molecular vision of life at Caltech, Rockefeller Foundation, the rise of the new biology. It came out in 1993 by Oxford University Press. It says, in the molecular biology we have inherited from the 20th century merely a product of the scientific method, an inevitable set of conclusions spawned by the cumulative impartial deduction of the theoretical principles from objective observations, or was it moulded, shaped and directed by an elite establishment that had aims much broader 
and the Pursuit of Science. In her 1993 book, The Molecular Vision of Life, Dr. Lily E. Kay, whom a 2001 MIT News Office obituary referred to as one of the outstanding historians of biology of her generation, argued that the new biology was largely created by the Rockefeller Foundation and its subsidiary program at the California Institute of Technology, Caltech, through a consensus between a scientific elite and a business elite whose broader aims centered on eugenics and the need to create a mechanism of social control and human engineering. The new science did not just evolve by natural selection or randomly distributed disciplinary variants, nor did it ascend solely through the compelling power of its ideas and its leaders. Rather, the rise of the new biology was an expression of the systematic cooperative efforts of America's scientific establishment, scientists and their patrons. It's interesting to see every scientist is backed heavily by patrons, to direct the study of animate phenomena. Now, animate is everything that moves, including people, right? Along selected paths towards a shared vision of science and society. By the way, that this title, this name they give it, Molecular Vision of Life, it was the third version. They already had eugenics before. It didn't go down too well. Another name, too. So this is the third one they used on it. It says that the term molecular biology, in fact, was created in 1938 by Warren Weaver, director of the Rockefeller's Natural Sciences Division, to rename for the third time the program originally known as psychobiology, the aim of which was rationalization of human behavior. Psychobiology, you see. The model Kay uses to describe the surrogate process was one of the consensus that does not necessarily require the active complicity of all scientists. Now, he's beautiful, too, how this, they, they can use everybody who are willing. They're not really quite dupes. They're well paid for it. They, know, they're, they're, they probably suspect they're dupes in a sense, but they're well. They don't care. Most scientists don't care as long as they get well padded. Uh, wallets. Many of them did not share the goals of eugenics, social control, or human engineering. Many of them, even at the elite level, were interested in the pursuit of pure science, even though they were certainly aware of the goals of the business and administrative elites within the Rockefeller Foundation. Scientists and foundation elites needed each other, however, and the end result was that the new biology would not be an open-ended investigation of the riddle of life, but would rather be directed investigation to answer specific questions in ways amenable to the goals of eugenics and social control. And it says at Caltech and the New Molecular Biology, the Rockefeller Foundation in 1913 poured $25 million of support into the, this investigative study, you see, between 1932 and 1959, and ended up with Nobel Prizes, etc. I think they said there was 18 Nobel Prizes to do with eugenics and manipulation of humans and so on, and 17 of them were from the Rockefeller Foundation themselves and funded by them. So they also direct, understand you can direct where science is going to, inv- going to go, including how to create infertility in people if you need be. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of different areas if you're directing the sciences to do with social policies. Eh? Anyway, it says World War I ushered in a new political and economic ideology of cooperation that departed from 19th century individualism and stressed interdisciplinary projects, team players, and coordinating managers. The foundation stepped in during this organization of science and played a critical role in shaping it. They went into agriculture, 
a whole bunch of biological studies and so on. Food, food, food. How, how do you manipulate people, folks? It's all in here. <laughs> it's in here, too. And it also mentions the founding fathers of military biology. These include Thomas Hunt Morgan, Max Delbrook, George Beadle, and Linus Pauling. James D. Watson, who with Francis Crick discovered the structure of DNA at Oxford. And they were a disciple of Delbrook. His investigations with Crick were largely based on Pauling's paradigm of molecular structures, and he later joined Caltech. So they talk about the, the 17 scientists that they, out of the 18 that got to Nobel Prizes for research into this area, and goes on and on. But it's really fascinating to talk about the whole point was to do with social control. Social control, folks. Most of which would be completely a mystery to those that were being controlled. They'd never figure out the, their whole reality pretty well was shaped for them. Everything they thought about, even their topics of conversation. They have no idea. The present day hasn't changed. It's everything, isn't it? And it said here that they could train the whole world, basically. That was a part of it. It was train, train the whole world into this new system. It says John B. Watson wrote his Behaviorist Manifesto in 1913 as well, in which he promoted a new psychology whose inherited goal is the prediction and control of behavior. And this goes on and on and on, and how they could, they could train out, and maybe even breed out, different traits which are undesirable in human nature, and, and put other ones that we into really into the fields of genetics. is isn't just purely psychological indoctrination, although it's a big part of it too, but it's everything else as well. How you can, you can, you can create whole fads and you can get, it's true enough with George, which uh, other members of this organization, they knew about, like Bertrand Russell, they knew there's nothing you cannot do if you have total control of what becomes the reality of the general public. The complete reality, you understand? If everything you look at has been designed for you to look at, if everything, every question you're going to, it's going to lead you to questions. Uh, so everything, every question that will appear in your mind to do with, with the, is, is from what they've given you already to, to make you run circles and circles and circles and pre-planned answers and pre-planned questions and endlessly. You understand what I'm saying here? This is way beyond just the realms of, of sci-fi. Because to hold on to your sanity, as I mentioned before, is a very difficult thing. And I said that in, when 9-11 happened, because I knew, I knew this whole agenda was going to unravel very quickly and be implemented. And the, and the whole war system and the total um, observation of every individual on the planet was all part of it, too. War was the excuse. The necessity, that word again, necessity. But I'll put this up anyway. It's a good article to read. This is a review of the book. Uh, you don't have to read all the stuff yourselves if, if you don't want to. But you can certainly read the reviews of it. Because most of the stuff is, is real nice to read the condensed versions. Because there's so much to read in this day and age. As I say, circles within circles within circles. And questions within questions within questions. All planned for you to spend your life trying to do. The people involved can't read all this stuff themselves. It's too much. They know this. Also, when they put up Peter Hitchens on ID cards, it says ID cards are great if you want to, to spit on liberty and be a serf. And he goes into 
this push in, in, the, in Britain. It was a great test bed for all the stuff is Britain as they came out again last year and tried to push for the ID cards for everybody under the guise of mass migration coming. They could be all kinds of criminals, blah, blah, blah. So let, let's get everybody uh, ID'd with cards and so on and so on. But you can't, as, as he knows, because he knows history and he knows you can't go this route. And it, he also knows that uh, there's other reasons for governments wanting to do it on, on everybody. Come on. Come on, folks. You know, you know all. The same governments that wanted the wars, the same governments that knew mass migration would follow from the countries because it was planned that way. It all comes together on national borders at the same time. You can't get a, a world system of a, a new world culture created unless you eliminate nations. Simple. Or oh, they never, they're doing it. What do you mean they never do it? Of course they're doing it. William Pitt the Younger and he also mentioned, he's a British politician in the late 18th century, early 19th centuries too. So he was prime minister for a while too. And he talked about it as well, about basically safety for security and all that kind of stuff too. And necessity. He mentions how necessity, like Peter Hitchens and others too, and I've said it too, they always use the term necessity for taking your rights away. He said, well, we'll have to do it to keep you safe. Or what to ID you to keep you safe? Or we have to have cameras everywhere to keep you safe? Well, how come worse and worse things happen all the time? And we're, 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 we're oh, it's getting worse, not better, when it comes to safety. Because safety has got nothing to do with it, is it? Verse Pitt 2 talks about it too. He says it, it's, it's the cry of every tyrant. Every tyrant is safety. Hmm? Plato said it. Everybody said it. I think Milton even said it too. But uh, no, you, you can't have any safety. Uh, he, he said too, uh, and with necessity the tyrant's plea. <laughs> Excuse his devilish deeds. That was uh, Milton, of course, Paradise Lost. But uh, that was pretty well said by the same thing and by Pitt himself. He said it's the argument of tyrants and the creed of slaves. Same thing too. Well, you can't go on like this, folks. You know, give up all your rights. You can't burn fuel and fossil fuel and stuff. Oh, you can't, you can't drive car. Oh, no, Agenda 21 for 21st century. But God, God has saved the world. It's necessity, necessity. Total control, remember. Total control of every individual has always been the agenda of this secretive but very huge society in the world. And they're part of it, too, is bring down the populations. Sterilization. We've had all the talks out by different professors in different parts of the world. Say, oh, yeah, older folk should just take the pill and kill themselves, you know? And let younger folk have jobs. By these cushy nothings that never worked a day in their lives telling us this. You think they're all just spontaneous, coming up by themselves? Of course they're not. Getting paid to do it. And, oh, stop eating meat and stuff. Oh, remember I mentioned last week, too, the energy and food as an energy. Without food, you have no energy. You're dead. You'll die. All being discussed, it's not speculation either. Vegetarianism led to my mother's premature death. Prominent National Health Service cardiologist claims the meat-free diet played a crucial role in her suffering. Good article to read, actually. It's part of eugenics, folks. They would said they would make food very expensive, especially meats and proteins. Over and over, 
and then here you go. Oh, yeah, you, these animals give up too much methane, my goodness, etc., 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 etc. Endless, isn't it? And also, two war on superbugs. I've read this article, this is a, a repeat of the same things, because there's more to it than meets the eye. There's a good reason, and there's a real reason, eh? Warren Superbugs is putting elderly people at risk of dying with sepsis because general practitioners are under too much pressure to stop doling out antibiotics. Now, what they don't mention in this article is the nudge units, the behavioral insights teams that every country employs now to brainwash us all. It's all through the internet. They're rushed into using every country. I read articles months ago where Britain, the British government, pays them to try to convince doctors and prompt them not to give out antibiotics to the elderly now, or even children. Huh? Mm-hmm. Elderly and children, reduced population, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here's the thing, too. It says here that uh, revealed elderly people are rarely being denied antibiotics for infections. This is Britain. This is the agenda, folks. I hope you wake up to this and demand you get what you need. You'd better, or you're dead. This is deliberate. It's not a mistake. It's not some some vague opinion that they're trying to push upon. No, this this is their agenda. So it says, National Health Service offers health boards payments if they slash their prescription rates. You know, on if they stop prescribing so much, they get them bonuses. A study suggests that uh, this pressure may be putting vulnerable people at risk. Of course it is. That's the agenda, isn't it? So it says the National Health Service offers local health boards additional payments if they bring down their prescription rates and antibiotics, and doctors are in turn pressured to give drugs to fewer patients. Well, you better demand your rights, folks, because you're getting killed off here. I hope you understand. This is not just in Britain. I've seen articles in Canada, too. And they'll be pushing it on the same people. So when you see your smiling doctor, folks, who you're, you're trained to worship, unfortunately, you better maybe start to put on a grim face and a grimace and maybe a bit of anger and say, hey, I really demand my rights here. And demand that you get your proper antibiotics and the proper length of time. Another con of it is, too, is, is everybody in the medical profession knows this. Everybody knows it. And, and they used to tell every patient, too, when they prescribed it. They would give you about seven days, sometimes to ten days, antibiotics. And they would tell me, you finish that, that whole course. Don't ever, even if you feel better, keep it to the very end to make sure that that particular bacterium that's destroying you is killed off. That was the purpose of it. If you had a few and you felt better halfway through the course, you see, uh, you'll find that that bacterium... It's not quite, there's a few left there and they'll rebound. And now they might be resistant by the time it hits you again and you notice it. And if it's resistant again to the antibiotic, then you need a different antibiotic to kill it off. They know all this. This is standard, old, old stuff. So if they're giving you a, a, a fewer days course by prescription, it's the same thing as you're not taking a whole course. You understand what I'm saying? Legally, it might cover their asses, and they know this. They know this, folks. That's the reason for it. But it's not going to kill off the infection. So they're saying in Britain here, in this article, all oh, patients sometimes have to go back to try to get more pills 
because it isn't killed off yet. Well, that time it'd be too late. It says it here in the article. It says, general practitioners have been repeatedly told they run the risk of creating a public health catastrophe by doling out too many drugs. And at one point in 2015, they were even warned they could be struck off for over-prescribing. I guess they can prescribe you marijuana now, though, eh? At least you can die, I guess, in some happy haze. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here. I really do. It's not my opinion, folks. This is just fact. It says, the findings suggest that older adults, especially men aged over 85, should start taking antibiotics as soon as possible after diagnosis to prevent serious complications. It reveals elderly people are regularly being denied antibiotics for infections, raising their chance of sepsis. I mean, eightfold, eightfold, and doubling the risk of death. Well, start the lawsuits, folks. You better start lawsuits, because if you don't, they go through the motions of giving you too few pills to do any good to you. That's the purpose of it. It'll depend who you are, of course, in this so-called classless society. Believe you me, those who are important won't go through any arguing to get what they need. And also part of it too, again, the war, it's all to do with necessity. If they can't get a war on this and a war on that, well, it's a war on humanity. Man's causing death to the planet. Oh my goodness, eh? The climate change. Paris Climate Change Agreement, everything you need to know, put that back up again for those who don't quite get it yet, what's about. And those who've been trained for the positions and promoted to the top, who, as you know too, they don't have to be a genius, they're far, far from that, in fact. I'm surprised they scraped through some of them, but it says Ocasio-Cortez poses legitimate question. Is it okay to still have children? Do you think this is all out of her own mind, folks, or what I've been talking about here? They train them for years and present them to these characters. Hmm? They get well paid for it all, too. Well paid. Doors just open. There's lots of them out there in every country. As I've said before, this is not conspiracy theory. It's fact, folks. Liberal Party study claims household energy bills could soar by hundreds of dollars. Again, energy bills, energy, energy. Under Labour's plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. This is Australia. Same as every other country, though. Because isn't it strange that all pass the same rules at the same time? And you've got less money to buy necessities like food or good food which is important food, hmm? the really important stuff, like protein. And again, eugenics, eugenics, eugenics. Uh, Chinese government may have funded disgraced scientist He Jianq to create the world's first gene-edited babies, report claims. Old stuff, old stuff, it's, uh, but this is how it is. And this is from the Mail Online, Daily Mail. And his documents show grants were issued by three government institutions in China, same as every other country, of course. It's not clear whether the institutions knew how their grants would be used. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> That's the same as saying that the doctors didn't know if half, half the prescribed dose of antibiotics would do any good. Ha, ha, ha. Scientists modified the DNA of twins to make them resistant to infections with HIV. That's the excuse that they gave for it. I'm sure every country's done the same experimentation, so, or experiments elsewhere. In laboratories you, you don't even know exist. But of course, they've, they've had lots of articles over many years about gene editing and the creation of new human beings. Of course they have. 
You know, in the 70s, they, they, they actually put human genes into pigs. And the American Department of Agriculture and Livestock, or whatever you call it, was, was involved in it too, by the way. And after the experiment, uh, where they put them into the, these particular pigs that they bred, they released the pigs into, and the rest of the pigs. So human genes were, uh, after the experiment was over, they put it in, and, and they ended up getting going through the population of pigs in America. Human genes. Uh. It's like turning us on to cannibals. Yeah, yeah, the things we don't know would terrify us. It's bad enough. We get terrified by the few things we are. And well, there's, not, there's hundreds of things we know that terrify us, really. That's why most folk don't want to hear about them. Really, that's the reason. You would collapse if you looked at it all. You would. Yeah, it's quite amazing. And Facebook actively suppressing posts from conservative media sources, whistleblower claims. And then you have... Maybe I'll, I'll do another part next week on this, because really... There's just too much to, to put out there. Most folk don't want to hear it. Most folk think I don't sound distressed enough when I mention these things. But if you, if you get distressed, you're either faking it for a different reason, or you're not fit for it because you have to be fit enough to understand the truth. You have to fortify yourself to, to understand it. And when you've known it pretty well most of your life, what's going on, because you, only from the books that you read, not, not the ultra-secret secret stuff that's not published, obviously. But what, what ha- is published is phenomenally copious, as I say. And that's bad enough. But I've always found that whatever they publish about what they're going to do, this, the, it's called different names like the, the socialist policy of, or, and, or, the, or the futurist society's pro- programs or the staggering amount of, of articles put out by universities and, and socialism and socialist policies and etc., etc. Well, you'll find that they, they will always, uh, no matter how long it takes, achieve their goals. You find all the top capitalists are on board with this, without exception as far as I can see. Which leads you to a different whole thing to get. Are the, are the top capitalists all part of the same club? And is that how they became the top capitalists? Because they promote their own into being that, well, actually that is true. I really don't believe that the big figures they put forward to you, like child geniuses that end up owning big parts of the internet, are what they say. I don't think it's that at all. I think they're all fronts. Well-paid fronts. Incredibly well-paid fronts. But fronts not. You know, the CIA has stacks and stacks of legitimate big corporations that produce real things. So does Britain, and MI6 and so on. And various crown corporations, as they call them. But don't believe... Because, see, now's the time these people who turn to be philanthropists from being geniuses, supposedly, it's strange how they're all on board with the same agendas as philanthropists, depopulation, and a whole bunch of other things. It's always the same things, isn't it? Isn't that rather odd? Why would you get the same darn thing from all these supposedly different individual people? There's only one system here, folks, and it doesn't stand any competition. It really doesn't won't tolerate it, never did. And that's why I can do what I'm doing without breaking up apart, because you've seen the cons that are out there, you've seen the fakes that come out that just grab information and destroy credibility for other people by acting farcically, or even getting laws changed to stop people even putting out good information. I've said before, they, they give you your leaders, they do. 
And why are you, how come you've been trained into believing you can't think and speak for yourselves? I wish everybody could get that and they'd start to work on it. Why do you need people to say, I feel your pain and speak for you? Why? Who trained you into this behavior of conformity? Conformity, standardization, the trained society. You better start thinking about it. Anyway, from those who, who want to buy the books and this I have, cuttingthroughmidrace.com, look up the website, take notes of all the official sites I, I have there, and you can get the books and discs there. And you can also donate. It tells you where to donate to as well, how you do it. I hope you get a lot out of what I'm saying, because this, is a, this war was on the go long before I was born. But we really are, have reached a crucial time. You have seen that, 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 that since 2001, you've seen this massive rampage of the unfolding of the whole agenda at breakneck speed, where everything is to be made anew, all society, all definitions, all realities, in fact, and you're living through it, even with the force of law, where you're being told what to say, what to call things that you see, and how evil you are if you won't follow and go along with it. And you can't see how many fingers that O'Brien is holding up. Think about it. For myself, Alan Watt, from a very cold, still very cold, Northern Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.